Warning, this podcast contains adult language and is not suited for children. Spoiler alert for everybody, this is a take two recording, and I have no idea how I introed the first time. Oh, I got you. So, I just remembered. I, I literally just <laughs> You just remembered? Well, keep this in. Keep this in. No, this stays in. Oh, this no. Is <laughs> this is our intro now, and that's fine. No, but I right? got it. But I got it. Yeah, I'm sure you do. This is fine. Next week. Next oh. week, that can be your intro. No, but, but next week we'll have a catchy intro. True. So what the hell did I say? That literally, you were like, I don't have a catchy intro this time. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you were like, yeah, I don't have a catchy intro this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you went from there. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a catchy, I think it was like, I don't have a catchy intro. So, uh, I'm Joe, he's Drake, generic opening for Square Circle Sit Down. And then you did the hashtags, and then. Yeah, that's what we get to. Wow. Yeah. Whoa, signed with a company. Whoa, got County Road. He's got his last name back. <laughs> it's his now, and he could use it in the company that had it anyway. Amazing. Oh, God. We're just so, going to bitch about County Road, aren't we? Yeah, that's what. I mean, we're not, but we'll probably spend a lot of this episode taking jabs in him. I'm Drake. That's Joe. This is the Squared Circle Sit Down. You can find us on any available. <laughs> podcast platform be it apple podcast google podcast stitcher anchor spotify did i miss anything also available on youtube and you can go over there and like share comment subscribe we appreciate it you can also find us on twitter at squared circle sd drop us feedback we always love it we love interacting with people Oh, yeah. So, from the top, right? Hashtags. Hashtags. We love our hashtags. Hashtag Free Ali. Hashtag Layla Hirsch for Team Taz. And hashtag Cody Rhodes did... Oh, my God. Cody Rhodes did something. Cody Rhodes did something. Well, it is rumored that Cody Rhodes did something. Cody Rhodes is being a professional, just like we are. Uh, where we know exactly what we're talking about all the time, but Cody Rhodes may have signed with the WWE. We have no idea what the contents of the deal is at this point in time, but it does seem like he's done uh, the deal. Allegedly, he is back with the WWE and allegedly will appear at WrestleMania. And I have many, 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 many thoughts on that. And once we see him or he is announced, we will have the Curious Case of Cody Rhodes Part 2. And I will share all those thoughts. Spoiler alert. They're not all very positive. That's fair. That's fair. Also, the rumored match that seems to be set up for him is Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins, which could be a hell of a match. But it's funny because that's totally a match that happened a decade ago when Cody Rhodes was... Cody Rhodes, or Cody Rhodes was Stardust, and Seth Rollins was still Seth Rollins. Blonde, blonde Seth Rollins. Yeah, yeah, Tyler Black, streaky, shield Seth Rollins. Yeah, man, what's he gonna? Okay, this is this is the only one. I promise, not the only one. That's a lie. But I'm gonna try so hard to keep these like. I haven't said the wrestling therapy buddy thing, but it's cool. It's cool. It's therapeutic. Let it out. Okay. Okay. What's he going to do now that he can't bleed every, like, other match? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot. I I think I'm going to throw in my fair share of jabs when we get to this. Maybe next week. Maybe. Maybe the week after. We'll see. Yeah. I wonder if, with it coming out the way it is, I wonder if they hold off till 
WrestleMania weekend. Not that that's that far away, actually, but... Whew, it's crazy. Time is just, like, flying by. WrestleMania is coming up. How far out are we now? Two and a half weeks. Oh, my God. Three that's weeks. wild. That's absolutely wild. April 2nd, I think, is WrestleMania. The road to WrestleMania is a highway, and we are going very fast. The roads to WrestleMania? Ha! Ha! Uh, wow, man. Very funny. So, while we're on the topic of WWE, we might as well stick to WWE. Um, and we'll go from one person who potentially has a very awkward and complicated relationship with their fandom to another. You know, the longer that Ronda Rousey sticks around in the WWE stratosphere, the clearer it becomes to me that she can't really handle it. Right? She has such a hard time with dealing with fans not being in her corner. Um, and you see it a lot, right? I mean, she's she's gotten better about, like, being being loud about it on social media, which is good because that was not a good look. But even just in where she's present and where she's, she's done things, it's really, it's really been uh, not great. And it's crazy because she's somebody that is kind of a natural heel in just who she is and I don't mean like as a person but as a wrestler she comes in and she just beats people up she has all the monster heel characteristics of just being lethal the same way Brock does where Brock can come in and just destroy your favorite wrestler and you hate him but you also can kind of ride the wave that is Brock Lesnar you can ride the wave that is Ronda Rousey of just this path of destruction but they're not treating her like that. They're treating her like she's this conquering hero coming back after having a child and returning. And now she's going to go beat up Charlotte because everybody hates Charlotte. But it doesn't it's not catching fire like that. Yeah, this was this is one of those things where it's even stranger. We talked about this a little bit where it was really strange that we didn't just do Becky, Becky, uh, Rhonda now. But it's even stranger now as we look at it where it's like, OK, but. First off, it's not like this reaction from the fan base was unexpected. People have been pretty vocal about this for a while. People had had kind of started souring on her by the time we got to her WrestleMania match. Um, and then with Lesnar being back in the way he's back, after a little bit of time of, of peace, I guess is the term you could use. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. But you had a, a, a time where Lesnar wasn't really relevant. And... You know, the fan reaction to him being back and doing the Reigns Lesnar thing for the millionth time really puts puts a, a, a creates a situation where you have to be like, uh, we know how the fans are generally with anyone. We know how the fans are with part timers. And now you've got Ronda, who already was losing the fandom the last time, clearly wasn't getting a huge response with the rumble and everything else. And now is against Charlotte, who people just are not interested in seeing on top. You've got all these pieces that go together to just make shit salad. I mentioned this last week of a, in context of AEW having like a little bit of booking redundancy of you have, you, you know, you run the risk of doing the same storyline too often. And I don't think that's the same thing with WWE, but WWE kind of has, like, character redundancy here of, like, you have Brock and Ronda, who I think everybody looks at them in very similar light, except Brock has been around for such a long time and Ronda hasn't been. 
so she's getting a little bit of the reception when Brock was younger and and newer that Brock got a little bit of the time where Brock was looked at as like nah you're a part-timer we don't want you I, I mean in Brock returning post like 2012 not Brock 2002 sure sure um so yeah like Brock was kind of looked at as like Ugh, why are we putting Brock in all these spots Brock is here he wrestles three matches a year he just comes in and you know destroys somebody and then leaves and just you know like he's an attraction okay whatever but I don't want Brock in my storylines and now Brock is in storylines but he's been doing it for such a long time that Brock has had so many matches now with so many different people and many good matches too with lots of people to the point that Brock has kind of won people over to him doing that where Ronda hasn't. Well, two of the things that I think are really important to bring up there are first Brock has kind of, especially in the last like year or two created this thing where like, okay, yeah, he's a part-timer, but now when he's around, he's around. There was a time, right, like at the peak of Brock Lesnar, WWE champion, the end boss, where it was like he'd show up for an episode of Raw or SmackDown a month. He'd have his match with whoever the challenger was. He'd show up on the next episode to gloat about it, and then he'd be gone for a month until they figured out who was going to be next. And then he'd come back. But now, um, especially with the Roman Reigns thing, you're seeing Brock a lot more often. He's on more weekly programming. He's on more shows and interacting more, and I think that that's had a huge role in how much easier it's been for the fans to sort of accept Brock. It also doesn't hurt that, like, Cowboy Yeehaw Brock Lesnar is the best incarnation of Brock Lesnar we've ever gotten. His look is great, and I think that, um, and I think I mentioned this too uh, a while back, where, like, Viking ponytail beard Brock just comes off as more likable, um... Having him kind of do the I do whatever the fuck I want has always been a really good part of his charm, but now it just it works so well and, and he just kind of beams. Like there's the the episode <laughs> of SmackDown from this past week where he commits attempted murder. I don't know if you've seen it or have watched the clip. Uh but attempted murder Brock Lesnar is pretty much daily Brock Lesnar. Oh, it's great. So they get so Roman and the Usos and Paul are like leaving the arena. And they're, they're doing the whole, like, we're obviously a little shook as we make our way out. And they get into, like, this big SUV. Or they're getting into this big SUV. And Roman looks off to the side and his eyes go wide. And then all you hear is Paul Heyman go, oh, my God. <laughs> Roman gets, he's like, go, go. And he gets in. And it cuts to the other side where you hear, like, a and Brock is on, like, a forklift, and he's driving it at full speed at the car, and he's got on the cowboy hat, and he, I think he had on the overalls, and he just looks like he's having the time of his goddamn life. <laughs> and it's so hard to see that and not just, like, pop for it, because he's clearly having so much fun. And being around and interacting and, and actually engaging in storylines instead of being, he's Brock Lesnar, I'm Paul Heyman, this is the title, who's next? Whereas Rhonda feels like she can't be bothered to be part of the company unless she's in that, like, major spot fighting for a title and is, you know, uh, kind of the Cody problem, right? Heralded as the, the, the champion, the savior, it's just not where she is in the perception of the fans. And she's there every week, right? Like Brock 
wasn't always and and she is now and she kind of has been ever since she first showed up besides being away post her loss at mania and so that overexposes her a little bit so the the novelty of you're this celebrity coming in wears off pretty quickly and again i also think it's like the attraction isn't there like nobody i don't want to say nobody but people don't want this match with charlotte the way they want the very obvious match versus Becky and to be looking at it like, well, yeah, you'll probably get that match next year at WrestleMania feels a little cheap. And, you know, you used an an interesting term here, celebrity, which I mean, yeah. Okay. Ronda Rousey's Ronda Rousey. So she's a celebrity. Like people know who she is, but at the same time where Brock Lesnar is someone who shows up in wrestling and has tenure and is understood and seen as a wrestler, Ronda's not. She's an outsider. And even though she was around every week when she had her first run, and even though she's been around every week now, it hasn't really changed the fact that she just feels like an outsider. And with all due respect to Ronda Rousey, she hasn't been relevant anywhere in a very long time. Right? Like, she was a very important part of UFC's history, but that company has so far surpassed anything she could offer them. And that's not a slight against her either. She was she was very good and she was very important. But women's MMA has had the ability to grow and adapt so much that she's not a name that really exists within it anymore. And so being an outsider, she's not treated like a wrestler. And what has she done that makes her enough of a celebrity for people to be invested in her anymore. Not much. She's the person who transitioned really well. She has good matches. She's able to do WWE's ring style well. Um, but much like what you said, it's she's a, a legend in the MMA UFC world, but not a contemporary. And now she's somebody who hasn't done much. Her crowning achievement really is coming in and losing that Mania main event. And that's cool, but then she took X number of years off and, again, is not coming back to run it back with Becky, which is the real feud people are looking for. So, And the one we never really got the first time. Right, like, exactly. like exactly. if if we're if we're po- pointing out everything that makes this not work, right? Which like we are, then the other thing to keep in mind is here we are with the story that we don't really want, which involves Rhonda and the woman who prevented us from getting the storyline we really wanted the first time. So you're giving us, you're once again not giving us the thing that we've made very clear is what we're here for, and what we want her here for. And, you know, things change. Are we sure that she's sticking around for another year after this? If she is, is it is it possible to keep her hot enough to do Becky Ronda next year at Mania and have it be relevant? Does that mean that Ronda wins the Royal Rumble again? Because that makes her the only two-time winner, right? If she does. Yep. And at that point, you have the frustrations of, you know, what women are not getting those accolades knowing that after Becky Ronda, you're probably not going to see Ronda again for a while. So once again, it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, we want this match 
If you want to give us other matches also, fine. But we have to make sure that these are done in a way that doesn't take away opportunities from people who not only deserve them, but need them. Because, you know, you haven't been great at making your talent feel talented. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's something where if Ronda is going to win the title and hold it for a year to be challenged by Becky, then okay, that means Ronda steamrolls people for a year. If Becky is going to hold the title to be challenged by Ronda in a year, then okay, Becky's holding the title for a year, and that's a whole bunch of people that are going to lose to Becky. So either way, and if either one of them wins the Royal Rumble again next year, then they'd be the only two-time winner. Which, there's nothing wrong with two-time Royal Rumble winners, but it does say, like, well, what about Rhea Ripley? What about Bianca Belair? What about Sasha Banks? What about Bailey? What about Alexa Bliss? Like, there's all of these women who are incredibly talented, and I think every single person I just mentioned is someone who is a viable world champion for them. And you're saying none of them will be world champion for another year, at least. Yep. And, you know, it's more of the same, right? It's more of the same frustrations of people getting overlooked. It's more of the same frustration where you have a storyline with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar that <clears throat> that is probably the most compelling version of that storyline ever told, but you felt the need to take away the ability to have someone else go into WrestleMania as a world champion or give us another world championship match because you wanted this to have higher stakes. Which is really frustrating on top of the understanding that after this match, one of, like, three things happens, right? Either they introduce a new world title on the other show, and we just keep going like nothing happened. Roman throws one of these titles away because he doesn't care about it, thus devaluing it. Or they do they do kind of what, what they did with Becky, where, like, he carries it until the first pay-per-view, and then someone beats him... And then he defends the other. Like, it's weird. It's really weird. Um, where it, it's, again, just not doing anything that, that feels like it's incredibly relevant or impactful or meaningful while taking away the ability to make other things meaningful. It's booking yourself into a corner, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinions, which is why they're frustrated with WWE. Sure. Which... I, Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I do want to transition slightly to something else that's a little frustrating. Uh, it, it's good news, but but also frustrating news of, like, the injury update for Big E. Let's do it. Where, fortunately, it seems like he will make a recovery where he's going to be able to walk and move and use his arms and legs. No spinal cord injury, which is wonderful news considering you know, the nature of the injury being spiked on your head. Uh, also, no concussion, as far as I know, so nothing like that. But, again, good news. But there was a report from a sports doctor with uh, some knowledge of the WWE, maybe he's worked with them before, I don't know the exact details, who did speak to the nature of the injury where the bones fractured in Biggie's spine may never fully heal so it's going to be a wait and see thing of will he ever be able to be cleared to return to a wrestling ring because if he 
if those bones don't completely heal, then if he takes a bump again, they refracture, you risk a terrible, even worse injury, and that's something you don't want to see. So very good news in terms of, yay, thankfully it seems like he's going to be okay, but also frustrating news because, man, you you hate to see something like this. Yeah, that was uh, Dr. David Chow. He was a former consulting physician for the WWE. Yeah, it's it's absolutely heartbreaking to to hear about that. But again, it it feels as far as we know, it sounds like speculation, right? He's not involved in Biggie's specific case, right? This is just him being like, well, based on the way I understand these injuries to work and what I understand his injury to be, this could be a thing. Exactly. Um, so this is this is very much a you'll have to see when it happens. He's going to keep seeing doctors. He's going to keep healing. And over time, it, you know, he might get a complete clean bill of health. You have no idea. But, and of course, like fingers crossed from everybody, like that's what you want to yeah, see. Absolutely. You want to see that happen. But again, this is one of those situations where it's waiting and seeing because something happened that you would never want to see happen. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of a shame to think about, uh, the amount of heat from the fans, if no one else, uh, Ridge Holland would would end up with if, unfortunately, this was the case. Very true. And it seems like there are reports that there isn't any internal backstage heat on Ridge Holland. It, they're looking at this like this was a freak accident. It could have happened to anybody. Unfortunately, it happened in this situation. Um, and it, it seems like they're kind of pushing forward the... Ridge Holland, Seamus, uh, artist formerly known as Pete Dunne faction versus the, well, Kofi Kingston at the very least. I, I don't know if it's going to be Kofi and Woods, and it probably would have been those three versus New Day. I don't know if they're just going to do a two-on-two with somebody on the outside or if they're going to get a third man for Mania, but that seems like what they're pushing for. Sure, and, like, okay, that's fine. Um, I, I do want to say, though, that... Uh... Again, like you said, it was a freak accident, but I want to echo back to something that we talked about, and I'm not blaming Ridge Holland for this, but I'd like to echo back to something we talked about last week, where this is a freak accident that probably could have been maybe not avoided, but had the odds reduced by allowing your talent to have more time to cook before being on live weekly television. And especially, you know, uh, coming into... Uh, matches and doing spots like he and Big E did. Uh, I don't know, man. It It's one of those things where this is not a concern or, or a complaint that hasn't been brought up. This isn't a conversation that hasn't been had before. I'm not saying Ridge Holland is the next Nia Jax by any means. And I want to echo what I say a lot about, like, this isn't just a WWE thing. It is a little bit for them because of the very clear and televised developmental path they have. But for any other company in any other part of the world, it's things like the apron bumps and spiking people on their head and things like that where it's, I get it, you're doing it because it looks good, it looks violent, it looks like it's really damaging the person because it really could be damaging the person and... There are certain things where it's okay. We do this in the safest way possible. There's a crash pad. There's a, you know, multiple stacks of tables to cushion an impact. Things like that. And 
you know, as we saw with Sting doing the dive off on Andrade. But then you also see things like Sammy Guevara pancaking himself on the stage. And it's like, okay, fortunately, he's getting up from that and walking away, and he's fine as far as we know. But there's always the chance that something bad can happen. And I get it. These are talented professionals who train and do everything they can to avoid injury. But these freak injuries still can happen. And as a fan, you never want to see them happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really unfortunate um, that some of what we see with wrestling nowadays is forcing there there's this thing where you always have to and it's not just wrestling right it's like this and everything where you have to constantly be innovating and you have to constantly be doing more than the last person did because if you're not doing more than the last person did then they're not going to talk about you they're going to talk about the other guy and i get that um and we also do have to take into account you know it's one of those things where it's like well we we can be as smart as we are um, about about wrestling and about the business, but there there are things we definitely don't you know are not experts on, and I'll acknowledge that there are definitely bumps that we look at and are like, oh god, that's fucking insane. Why is he doing that? That are probably like crazy safe. Uh, but but yeah, there there's a lot of times where you know that that oh. That, that Spanish fly with Sammy could have gone very, very, very badly. Or the uh, 6.30, right? It was more than a 4.50, right? The exploding the, table spot. The yes. exploding table spot, yeah. Um, and, you know, even on simpler stuff sometimes, you know, look at the, the Matt Hardy thing where he, you know, he just was at the wrong angle and ended up cracking his head on the concrete. Oh. It was terrifying. So you, you kind of have to find that happy medium there are some apron bumps where it's like okay you can see the the care kind of put into it especially in AEW right like there's a lot of them so you kind of over time can can start seeing like okay he, these are the ones that they clearly understand and are able to do and fine um but but goddamn stop stop don't don't spike someone on it don't do anything that brings you down on necks or brings you down directly on your hip or whatever because like this you're you're paying for something you don't need to be paying for but let's also not just be old men screaming at the sky so uh have you been keeping up with the johnny knoxville Sami Zayn story yes yes we have Fantastic. a what is it it's uh no holds barred or Anything goes. Uh, anything goes. But do you know how we got there? Because it's fantastic. So Sami Zayn a couple weeks ago found Johnny Knoxville's phone number and started like hate tweeting, er, hate texting him. And in true jackass style, Johnny Knoxville's response was to hire a plane to fly around with Sami Zayn's phone number on a banner, and then to post it up in the subway station in New York. And then to leave it on the wall of a truck stop bathroom. <laughs> and Sami Zayn has just been getting all these calls. And I kind of think it's really cool that they're doing this the way they're doing this. And he is interacting with a lot of the fans. Like, I've seen a lot of reports 
of like him answering the phone when people when people call and just being completely in character and being absolutely miserable about it and it's great. I think that's that's so cool. It's one of the best celebrity involvements in a while. I uh I really appreciated Bad Bunny and I think Bad Bunny has had probably had the best wrestling match of any celebrity maybe you know in, in a long time, right? Second best because I think Stephen Amell and Christopher Daniels at all in beats it. Oh, Stephen Amell is is wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, Amell is up there, but Bad Bunny is like another one where I, you just want to put Bad Bunny in a wrestling match. Okay, cool. Put Bad Bunny in a wrestling match. Oh yeah, yeah. I will sing his praises forever. He put in so much work. Exactly. Like he cares clearly, and I I'm interested. I don't think you're gonna get like a solid wrestling match out of Johnny Knoxville, but the angle, the actual involvement of why he's doing this and the ridiculousness of the interaction with Sami Zayn it's something that clearly we haven't seen everything Sami Zayn can do character wise because he's kind of been pigeonholed as Smackdown crazy guy for a while and he's still Smackdown crazy guy but this is one where he's actually interacting with somebody strictly characters they're not just trying to eviscerate each other where he and Kevin Owens have to fight forever. And that's something that I like. I I can get behind that. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm sure that the uh, WrestleMania match is going to be absolutely ridiculous. But, but again, it'll probably be a lot of fun, too. We'd love to see if they make it, even if they made it for both nights, uh, just segment based That'd where be if it's you know no time limit false count anywhere whatever the case may be it's just they leave the ring they go through the arena they're backstage and you know Sami Zayn has to like a rat in a maze has to navigate all these jackass traps that have been set up for him because Knoxville knew he was coming yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if they did it like that where it was like a um Stump Kowalski and George North from Talking Shop Mania. Do you remember that match? Oh wow! <laughs> just, okay. As the show is going on, they're just like fighting from spot to spot. <laughs> what a reference! What a pull for this. Uh, well, I won't reference um, uh, uh, Sex Ferguson or Chad Too Bad too often on here because I'm not the biggest fan of theirs, but. That that particular bit from that show was fantastic. <laughs> just fighting around everywhere. I would love to see that for this, where where they're just like fighting through the back, and you you take them out through a New York alley or so, or not New York. I'm sorry, where are they? They're in Texas. Take Texas. them through like a Texas alley or something, and just just be like fighting wherever. And then the night ends, and it's not referenced again. And then night two, like the third match in. You have, like, 24-7 shenanigans, and you just have them, like, run by, and the camera lingers, and you just see Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville still beating the hell out of each other. We just check back in through both nights, and I think that'd be great. It also gives you a perfect thing to put between the last match and the, the main event. You could just have that segment pop up in the middle to end it, finally. And then you go to Roman and Brock. That would be a good way to, to just, like, let the audience cool off, yeah. Be a lot of fun. Man, whew, I don't even know all the matches that we have confirmed for WrestleMania. 
Or even, like, not confirmed but clearly are happening. I know there's a women's tag team match that's a fatal four-way now. They're still adding teams. That's going to be every single woman on the roster who is not tied down to something else. Yeah, that makes sense. Is The Miz doing anything? Yes, it's The Miz and Logan Paul versus The Mysterious. Oh, right. That's so gross. You know, and it's one of those things where uh, Vince McMahon and how he perceives heat... We talked about this. We talked about this last week, right? Um, Vince McMahon has a very specific idea of the audience he has in mind, and it's not necessarily the live audience that he's playing to, but he uses them to get responses that he wants to sell to the people who are his actual audience. And so when a guy like Logan Paul shows up and gets go-away heat, he sees dollar signs. Man, it's the worst. Yep. Shout out to Matt Mercer from uh, Critical Role this week. Because Vince McMahon did come up. <laughs> so before they do the episodes that they, like, they're, they're playing, they do, um, like, little skits for their sponsors. And <laughs> so for that spot, they had Sam Regal dressed up in a glittery, like, suit. And his name was, uh, uh, uh... Vince, uh, uh, Mick something. He was clearly, like, a Vince McMahon. Um, and he was, it was, like, a, a finger-wrestling organization or whatever. It was fine. Whatever. So, at the end of it, um, Matt Mercer is just like, I hate you. I hate you and I hate this character almost as much as I actually hate Vince McMahon. He is terrible. And so, I just wanted to shout out Matt Mercer and be like, preach. So rarely do these two loves of my life intersect so well. So In the perfect way. In the perfect way. So AEW. So AEW! I'm, I'm trying to be positive. We have some good positive things to talk about from AEW this week because I think they're getting that full head of steam going on getting all the next storylines rolling and, and paying off some big moments and... Uh, what bigger moment do we have from this week than Thunder Rosa has dethroned the Dr. Britt Baker what a to become match. your new AEW Women's World Champion. What a, what a great match, and I feel extra good saying that, considering there were a couple of spots in that match that were not very good. There were, there were a couple of moments where I was like, uh-oh, this is going to be really unfortunate because this is where Thunder Rosa wins and it's not something people are going to look back on fondly. And I was wrong. Despite, like, a couple slip-ups here and there, the timing wasn't always great. Um, we had our second, although I'm sure this one was an accident and not just a failed prop uh, chair shot to the head in AEW's history, which is unfortunate. But other than that, man, this match was a banger. These two women tore it up. We knew they could. We've seen it before. They absolutely lived up to expectations. Uh, and, whew, what a match. Poor, poor uh, uh, Aubrey Edwards. I don't know if you've seen the picture, um, but she put up a picture of her arm from afterwards because she, she had to do the three count and the tax and she's just got all these holes going all the way up her like forearm and it's like god damn and we talked we talked about yeah, that we too about this, so if you don't want to be the ref in a match like that definitely oh, not but I, I agree on pretty much all accounts I 
thought this was the match it needed to be. You had it in front of the crowd it needed to be in front of, where you have the cage match in Texas and Thunder Rosa wins the title, and it, it's all great. That crowd was amazing the whole night through, by the way. Like, what a fantastic crowd they were. They, they, they hit... I don't like to do this for AEW because, as we talked about in our three-part like series, it's very much a WWE thing to make the audience one of the like props in the show. But they hit all the marks they needed to hit at every point they needed to and responded the way that they needed to every time throughout the night. And they had so much energy, and it was so cool. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that, that match was very, very good. Uh... There's one. Oh, that chair spot. Oh my goodness, that chair spot. I was so worried for Brit on that fall. Me too. It's a scary one where it's just a matter of how are you landing? Because if you mm-hmm. land a certain way, you're fine. It's gonna hurt, but it's you're fine. It's fine. If it's... you land just a little bit off to either side, oh no. But it's also one of those things where they they took the smartest route to pulling that spot off, right? Like having her literally just just take the the chest fall onto the the chairs was was exactly how you do that spot, which I thought was really smart. Um, the story for that match felt really good. the The psychology that was employed was great, and a lot of the time, uh, so we we talked about with the ladders how ladders have like a built in are a built in storytelling device and how there's a very specific like story you tell with the ladder and with the cage it's kind of the same way where uh, I would argue that it's not as easy to tell a story with a cage as it is with a ladder but you have a much higher ceiling for emotional play from bell to bell less at the end but more bell to bell which is really cool and i think they utilized that really really well right where they were smart about implementing the cage and the hardware the the chairs and the thumbtacks and everything that they did in the right places in that match where you never really felt like it was too over the top you never felt like it was being violent for the sake of being violent everything felt like it needed to be where it needed to be because Brit, you know, even when she's presented as the, like, traditional chicken shit heel, always is still a legitimate champion. And that's something that they've been really good about. Where situations arise and she has to fight and she can fight. And this showed that really well. And Thunder Rosa here had this really, you know, even just coming out, she she came out with, like, all of the, the passion and the the, like energy that she did she had the the like entrance and she came out with the flag like she always does and so you you just and you already had all the setup for this match beforehand right like she had to win it she had to do it it and it felt really really good here and it felt like they played out the story the way it needed to yeah all in all i'd say it was a great win the the cage was the right choice the crowd was fantastic, and they, they hit the story beats they needed to hit getting where they got to. It has lots of similarities with the uh, strap match, um, and I don't mean specifically Punk and MJF. I just mean, in general, cages have like the similar psychology behind it of they're there to either keep other people out or to keep somebody in. 
and the strat match is generally the same of it's to keep you you can't run away from me anymore so i like that i also like that the aw cage match rules are you can't win by escaping the cage you have to win in the cage if you get out and just run away then i guess it would just be like you retain your title via like count out or something but like you know it, it's a no contest but in theory the person could just go after you and bring you back in and beat you but we uh we noted the thumbtacks in punk mjf and how it felt a little off and in this it didn't because you have the history of they had that spot in the lights out match which to your point baker in the lights out match prior to becoming champion was the person of well yeah she's the chicken shit heel we don't know if she could actually fight and beat somebody legitimately and then she had that match and everybody started looking at her like oh no baker can fight if she needs to thunder rosa beat her but this was a match between two people and maybe baker could have pulled it out on a different day and now to have that spot in a cage match where baker's like fine I'm stuck in here with you. I gotta beat you to win my champion, retain my championship. Let me whip out the thumbtacks again because we did this the first time and I know that it hurts and I know we can do this again. So it's a callback rather than just adding something unnecessary to a match. And I think that was perfect. Like whoever laid this out, whoever did this was like, okay, we had the first one, we had the second one, now we have this one. Okay, here you go. Let's bring a sense of finality to this where it all wraps up completely and AEW usually after a match like this you don't have a rematch and I don't think we get a rematch here I don't think this is next week we have Baker challenges Thunder Rosa to try to get her championship back I think this is Baker goes off to do something else Thunder Rosa goes off to be champion yeah I agree and speaking of rematches that brings up something else I wanted to talk about with AEW tonight. Adam Cole and Adam Page. So, here's something you don't really see AEW do a lot, and like you just brought up with the two of them, you don't really see a lot of return matches. And usually it's it's like, the times you would expect to see it would be if the champion loses the title, and then the, the former champion wants the rematch. And we don't see that in AEW, really. When a championship changes hands, that's what happened, and we move forward. But here we are, and it feels really weird where Adam Page and Adam Cole had their match. Um, even though you could argue the finish isn't clean because someone was involved... No one was involved on the behalf of the winner. No one was involved or in any way really impacted how or why Paige beat Cole. So it's really hard for me to look at this and be like, this makes sense that we're going to have another Adam Page, Adam Cole match in the near future because it it just doesn't really fit their operating format, their, their, their format. It doesn't really fit for how they present their show, and I don't love that. Uh, you you really also have to take into account that, you know, we brought up storytelling, and if we look at the match with Paige and Cole, you, you brought this up and you didn't really like it, where Paige is kicked out of everything Cole has to offer. B- Hangman has taken the 
best of Adam Cole's moveset in the most uh, uh, impactful order it can be taken in and has kicked out and has won the match. At this point, I don't see the value to a rematch at all. And, like, you could argue, like like I've brought up in the past about this rivalry, that it was kind of rushed from point A to, like, the championship match. But, I mean, at that point, alright, so it was. And when you revisit it, you can do more with it. But it just feels like such a weird shift to go from everything that has been up until this point to, yeah, well, now we're going to do the the return match right away. To me, it felt like the match we had this week had a piece missing to it, where yep, there should have been something after Revolution where Cole said, no, 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 I know I can beat you, give me one more match. And even you could have had uh, Red Dragon be like, no, we want the tag title still. And you could have Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus be like, well, we just beat you. And uh, Paige could be like, I just beat you, Cole. So, like, you know, why would we do this? And then you have the heels kind of goad them into us three versus you three. If we win, we get another title match each. And if you guys win, then fine, we're back in the line. Right? And the baby faces, of course, go, sure, we'll just beat you again. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. And then they lose the three on three and they have to have those matches. Yeah. It just felt like that piece was missing. Otherwise, why are you doing this? This feels like that was Tony Khan going, oh, all right, well, yeah, we'll have them win. And then that means that, oh, they beat the champions so they can go get title matches. I, all right. Yeah. And yeah, it, it feels really strange. It also brings me to, and I, I know we're a little fast here, but I don't know how much there is more to discuss that. It brings me to another conversation that I've started seeing a lot more often. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a little further back and then work my way up. So, Cody Rhodes. We're going to start with Cody Rhodes. <laughs> hey, all right. Stay <laughs> on target. Yeah, no, I got you. 100% I got you. So, Cody Rhodes, at... At one point in time in AEW, was one of the biggest names in the company. I don't think we can ever argue that. Um, and that was relevant. That mattered a lot. Cody was a huge part of what made this company work the way it did. Since then, we've heard that part of what happened with Cody and Tony was Cody wanted a certain number. Tony gave him a smaller number. Cody kept asking for bigger numbers. And it got to a point where Tony was like, I can't give Cody Rhodes this kind of money which is perfectly understandable in a company where you've also got guys like John Moxley, Chris Jericho, Brian Danielson, CM Punk. Uh uh I would even argue Adam Cole. So now one of the interesting conversations that I see coming up is there was a point where it made sense for Hangman to be the champion. There was a point where it made sense for Hangman to be the champion for people who have been watching since the beginning. But things change. Situations change. AEW as a company has fundamentally altered what it is at its like core DNA from when it started and debuted to what it is now. And a lot of the fans who watch now aren't necessarily people who have been watching since the beginning. With that said, 
is it maybe and this is this is not my viewpoint necessarily but this is what i see coming up now more often is it maybe time to go he's had his time we finished the part of his story we needed to tell is it time to move the title onto somebody more mainstream more of a mainstream success is it time to go we have bigger names and more interesting names in our company than adam page Let's put the title on a Daniel uh, Brian Danielson. Let's put the title on a CM Punk. Let's put the title on an Adam Cole. Let's put the title on a guy who we know is part of our new fandom, right? The people who are watching now who wouldn't have been watching before these guys came in. Do we do that? Is there merit in that? Is Hangman less of a big deal now and should be treated as less of a big deal now? Because we have these other names. I see the argument. I think the pushback is a little bit of you come for CM Punk, but you stay for Hangman. And it's the, the these other names get you in the door, but you will still stay to watch a main event. So I, I think also the pivot is so much of what hangman is doing and probably will continue to do until the inevitable mjf um is he's feuding with those people he he's feuding with danielson and and archer i mean granted archer isn't like bringing in people because of a mass star but now adam cole you know adam cole is a guy who came from wwe people know who adam cole is so I think an aspect of that is, yeah, you're still coming to see those people, but you're not going to necessarily pivot off the story that you were telling or maybe are continuing to tell just because of that. And I understand that it will detract from Hangman a bit because you are going to get people who are going to follow Adam Cole company to company and they're going to come in the door, have no idea who Hangman Adam Page is, and see Hangman Adam Page versus Adam Cole, and they don't care anything about Hangman. They know Adam Cole, they love Adam Cole, they just want to see Adam Cole. And that, it, that comes with the territory, I think. I think that's just pro wrestling at this point. Of There are so many companies, sometimes you just follow people instead of following the product. So, that's my stance, anyway. And I think the next logical question to ask after that is... Is the story they're telling with Hangman now more interesting or even as interesting as the story that was told leading up to the title reign? And if the answer is no, maybe it is time for a change. That's fair. I, I think the answer, my gut says immediately, hell no, it's not even close. Yeah. But I think also the piece of that is uh, we talked at Full Gear Right, at, right after Full Gear, it was, well, this is the end of Act 1. We closed that book, we put it on the shelf, now we're starting a new one. If we're only a chapter into the next book, it, it's not going to be as interesting as the finale of this three-year-long-plus story. It, it's just not going to be. There's no way. Like yep. you're, you're not going to go watch um, Avengers Endgame and then compare it to uh, the next origin story movie. 
and say, well, oh, but the origin story, I'm not as invested. It's like, well, yeah, because they're telling you the beginning of a story compared to the other one that's movie 20 in of, of 20. So sure. you know, you, you've sat down in theaters for 10 years waiting for that one. So I, I, I get it. I get it for something because it, it's always going to be somebody's first show. It's always going to be something where somebody's going to tune in and say, yeah, that person is why I'm watching. And then if they will look and they're like, well, you don't push that person, you don't care about that person, they might tune out and never watch again. So it matters what you do to rope that person in. But I do think that one reason why lots of people have stayed with AEW is because they do that storytelling. They commit to it and they try their best to stick with it. And they pivot when they have to pivot. But for this, they don't have to pivot. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think the ratings are like dropping off in any significant way where no. they'd say, oh, God, we have to change. I don't think Hangman is getting booed out of the building where whenever he goes in. No, he still gets a monster pop when he goes out there. So if those things start changing, sure. But I don't think that this part of the story is going to last long enough where that's going to matter. I don't think that that's a thing. I, I think as we've discussed, we've got maybe two pay-per-views for him maybe so just to preface this i happen to agree with you completely and utterly um on on all of this but i do have one more question that i think is relevant to what we're discussing so AEW doesn't follow the same format as what i'm going to call a traditional wrestling company in so far on their weekly programming Insofar as the way that they present stuff, your main carters and your upper mid carters and whatever you want to call it, are not in the most commonly expected structured places on the card. Right? I think I think we can all agree on that, which is fine. It's a good thing that they do because it creates a lot of energy throughout the night. It allows for a lot of things to happen. But uh, with one of the boons being that you can have a guy like Moxley at any slot or, or Brian at any slot during the night and it feels powerful because it's just how it works. And you can put matches that otherwise maybe wouldn't be main events into the main event slot, like the TNT title, which feels a lot more prestigious because of the amount of times that it's been the main event. Uh, even on a card where the world title also is defended. So, with that being said, does Adam Page continue to feel like a main event talent after he loses the AEW world title with that format? Well, do you feel like they will have done enough that for the newer fans, who are, I would argue, more important than the older fans because the next fan is always the most important fan. So will he still be able to be presented and feel like a main eventer post-championship reign? You're talking about CM Punk's title reign in WWE. Yep. Exactly. Where it was, what main events the show, the championship that we hold as like the be-all, end-all, or the thing that we've invested the most in storyline-wise. Punk retaining his title most of the time was a foregone conclusion. The same way recently, 
I think betting odds on uh, Hangman is, yeah, okay, he's the heavy favorite every single time. Yep. So, in that case, AEW is running the risk of, well, do we put the best match on last? Do we put the championship match on last? Or do we put the heavy emotional story on last? And so far, they've been pretty damn good about that title main events the show pretty much every time i think almost every single pay-per-view it has um and recently of course but more recently since i think punk's arrival we've had the question of what goes on last because for what was that all out right all out back in september it was okay punk and darby could main event this show because that's what people are really tuning in to see. But, to their credit, Omega and Christian main evented. Which is like, big step down from that in terms of emotion, but okay, cool. I will I will also just clarify that I am primarily talking about episodes of Dynamite. No, that, that's totally fair. And I think it ties into this, because it is, sure. what do you invest in, right? Like, what are people tuning in to see? And in terms of like formatting, because they only have so many pay-per-views a year, if you're going to consistently book to say, okay, Hangman is going to be champion for a while. Everybody knows he's going to be champion for a while. So the people we're throwing at him now are going to give him good matches to make this a worthwhile title reign. But everybody kind of knows that he's going to win these matches so we're going to put them on last but you know they're not necessarily always what people are going to sit around to see because they know it's going to be a good match but it may not even be the best match on the card because we have all these other people now like there's going to be a brian danielson match that could always be the best match on the card cm punk match could always be the best match on the card you you don't know not to mention the entire tag division that every single night they go out there could be the best match on the card. So they do that on Dynamite too now. Of They kind of toy around with it. Of sometimes Paige opens the show. Sometimes he just has like a segment in the middle. Sometimes he is the main event. But they like to like test the waters of what the main event slot actually is to see do people stick around for this? I think it's smart. I think it's a smart thing for them to do because they can figure out, like, hey, if people are really hot on somebody for this main event slot, that could be a future main eventer for you. Yeah, agreed. And your championship is always going to carry that weight with it. So no matter where you put it on the show, it's fine. As long as they keep that pay-per-view thing going, though, I think that's the big important spot for it, where the champion main events the show. That championship in particular... You need something massive, even more massive than CM Punk's first match in seven years, to mm. unseat that slot. Yeah, which is which is the correct move. I mean, that's that's the staple, right? Is you you have your champion main event, your pay per views. I'd be very surprised if ever a situation arises where that's not the case. I think there are a couple of cases that I think it's there's a legitimate case to be made, where I think the women's title in the right circumstance deserves that main event slot if it ever earns it. Um, and I'm not saying it can't earn it. I'm just saying it hasn't so far. Um, 
a, I know AEW is not set up to be that company right now, but I think in the right circumstance, that's what you do. I would absolutely love to see that. I don't think that's anywhere in the near future. Or no, even kind of the not too distant future. No, you need to. Yeah. You would need to develop not only the star, but also the storyline to get it to that point. And so far, they have not done it. It's a big criticism for them, at least from a, me and probably a, a whole bunch of other people. Agreed. But, but besides that, unless it were something like some somebody big is retiring or whatever the case may be, where, it, you know, like and even then it, it turns into a situation of, well, who is it? Is it the champion retiring? Is it, you know, the person who's challenging the champion is retiring? Like, what's the case? And that depends yeah i don't know i still don't like like if we look at the most likely situations right i i wouldn't book sting's retirement match over the world championship right i wouldn't book yeah no there's the only person i can think of no nope i got no one i got nothing nothing cm punk wouldn't do it brian danielson wouldn't do it no john moxley that's the closest maybe I... No, sorry. That's not the closest maybe I could imagine. Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is one of the guys where I could be like, okay, him or the Young Bucks, if they're having their retirement match and it's like really their last match, I could maybe see it. But otherwise, it's very hard for me to see that being something they'd ever do. Totally fair. And I think that they've had the opportunity multiple times to say we have a fairly predictable uh less star powered than normal heavyweight championship match with another match on the card that is has more star power will probably be a better overall match and maybe even has some type of stipulation or another title in it and they have not put that match on last so not for pay-per-views but we have seen stuff like that for dynamite which is again like the the crux of my question was more focused on like adam page post championship reign on dynamite where you know not being the main event right more likely than not because that's reserved more for like the women's title the tnt title uh, uh things like that or the world championship segment or the tag team title uh, things like that. The things they, they have to keep important usually close out the show. So then with him no longer being the champion and, and probably no longer being in that spot, does he continue to feel like a main eventer if he's, you know, on Dynamite opening a show or like the second or third segment? Or even if he's close to the end, does the majority of the new fan base perceive hangman as a main eventer a year after he loses his title i think so assuming his storyline calls for it i think once he transitions off of being champion i think it's going the crux of the actual where he is is going to depend upon well what is he doing is he involved in a storyline that is still carrying him as hangman adam page former world heavyweight champion guy who is carrying all this emotional weight behind every move that he makes or is he a guy who's just a part of the dark order and if that's the case then no 
Sure. I don't think so. Unless the Dark Order has become much more than they are now. Which does not seem likely. No, I don't think that's the plan. No. But you never know. Well, yeah. But I thought that was an interesting question to bring up. And, you know, there's the thing where the IWC sours on... the, the They sour on everyone eventually. You give someone a world title and within six months they'll be like, this person is terrible, take it off them, throw them out. Uh, which you know, fine, whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not here to indulge that too much. But it was such. It's it's one of those things that has slowly becoming been becoming more steady, and I think was was definitely worth diving into. Fair, fair. While we're is, oh, go ahead. There's one more thing that I do want to mention for AEW before we move on to anything else. There's a couple more things I want to mention for AEW. Oh, per- perfect, yeah, perfect. So got... I hope I'm not jumping the gun with this one, but uh, there we had the main event of Rampage which was Keith Lee versus Max Caster. And we got to see more of a, a solo Keith Lee. I'm main eventing a show. I know it was a pre-taped show, but he's the, the main event match of the one-hour show. And this kind of clearly showed that Keith Lee is still not 100%. This is Keith Lee's still a big guy. He can still do the spots that he normally does. But he's not fully there in terms of moment-to-moment in a match. So he and Caster had, a, I think, a solid match. People are still very hyped to see Keith Lee. And they're building off of that to... You'll probably get the acclaimed versus Swerve and Lee, but it, the big thing is Starks, versus, uh, Starks and Hobbs versus Swerve and Keith Lee. So, Which I'm very excited for. I think that's going to be great. Yeah, I think so too, but it also protects Keith Lee a bit. So, like, yeah. Swerve can be in the ring working, you know. Oh. Jane Strickland Man. can be in the ring working majority of the match, and then Lee tags in. and Swerve is going to own Rampage, and it's so good. The ceiling on just the, like, whose house thing... I, I can't even imagine. This, they, these crowds are going to lose their minds over it, right? And we've already seen it, and it's so good. And and he's so good at, like, hyping them, and it's great. He is, he is a major player. And honestly, like, I was excited to see him. We talked a little bit about it. Uh, but I think I personally, even with, like, all of the stuff that I know of him... And, like, having been in love with him in Lucha Underground and seeing him rock NXT, I still think I underestimated, like, where he's going to fall in this company. Because just the way that he channels the energy of the, the audience into himself is phenomenal. That 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 is a guy who could potentially be a major star. I'd, I'd put him up there with, like, Ricky Starks in terms of, like understanding how to work the crowd and how to be the character you want to be, which is great. Like another guy who I think is, is has all the potential in the world. And that's a match in particular right there that I'm looking forward oh, to. I can't wait for that match. And we, I think we're getting them in a tag match very soon. Mm-hmm. So. I can't wait for that match. I can't wait for all the, the, the promos. I can't wait for it. Man, so good. There's so much good coming out of it. Uh, they, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because again, I, uh, baseball season's pretty much here. It's that thing of like you got to stretch out your arm, where you know nobody's throwing a hundred miles an hour in the first game. It's usually you should want to stretch it out, get to that by you know August September. That's when you're throwing your high heat. You can throw a hundred pitches every game, 
Keith Lee's got to get back to that, right? He's yep. still got to stretch out, still got to get the cardio in, get the reps in the ring. I think he's had some safer moments like this where it's going to be work your spots in a match with a guy that you're going to beat. You don't have to do too much yet. yet. And then you slowly stretch out and do more and more and more. And I, I hope that he can do that. I hope it's there. He just needs some time. But it's clear he's not there yet. I will say that ultimately, if this doesn't result on like a rampage on a pole match for Ricky Starks and Swerve, something's gone wrong. That's it. The whole audience is just going to be on a pole, and they're going to have to like fight to get it. So I'm going to go backwards a little bit. I, I know we try not to do that, uh, but I want to talk about uh, the best friends. I want to talk about William Regal. I want to talk about so many other things. Uh, so first... Give me William Regal on commentary every week, you cowards. Do it. It's my main event every Do week. Do it. Every goddamn time. Do it. Man, every every week that they run a match with either or both of these men that Regal is not on commentary is a missed opportunity. Pray oh, I tell. Love that he has to have Dan Housen explain <sighs> to him. In the most William Regal way I can imagine anyone ever asking that question. Man in the mask, pray tell, who is this demon waif with the best friends? Who? I, you cannot William Regal harder than that. Absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And... You go through it, and, and even after the match, which uh, which was solid, you have the eased potential Wheeler Yuta maybe joins yes, this group. Yes, please. Yes, please. The, the best Yuta. friend defecting person, finally. Please. Wheeler Yuta, give me Lee Moriarty. Um, if we weren't... You know, doing the Jericho Appreciation Society, which I need to talk about in a bit. Uh, I would love to see Daniel Garcia in that group as well. But, like, whew, this is such a great potential, like, situation for AEW, which is trying to invest so hard in its, like, youths, uh, which is great. But, oh, man, I, I am really hoping that this Wheeler Yuta tease is not just a tease. And that it doesn't happen because I think I think it's exactly what he needs. You know, the the best friends, we talked about it, you know, they have a bit of a cap on them as far as I'm concerned. There's only so high they can go. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you look at a guy like Wheeler Yuta and I, I can't help but feel like he would be held back if that's as far as he goes uh, throughout his career. And I think I think this is a great place for him to go next. They've done yeah, a great. Yeah, the best friends are are missing a little bit of a mission statement right now. Mm-hmm. They're a bit listless, and I I think all it would take for them really is to just have that, have them lose a bit, maybe have a couple of people defect. I I think we're also going to talk about Chris Statlander. Yeah, and see what's going on with her. But if you have something like that happen, you can get you know, Chuck and Trent and even Orange Cassidy back together, kind of that base group touch base and say, well, hey guys, this isn't working, let's change, and then you can chart a new course, a new trajectory, and maybe that raises their ceiling a little bit. 
Yeah, very likely. And, you know, they've done such a good job of introducing the audience to Wheeler Yuta now that I, I feel like it's the right time to do that. Uh, and you still keep the group large because you also have, you know, Danhausen now, who, by the way, I have to I have to say I appreciate that just he's part of the best friends now. I was I was watching with my partner and he came out with the best friends and she's like, "Wait, when did that happen?" And I'm like, "They're just they're just friends." What? But when did when did this happen? It makes it, it perfect just sense. Yeah, they found him under the ring. Yep, it's similar to when Chris Statlander joined. I think she popped up in an arcade machine. Uh huh. And that was just, just it. That's fine, and I love it. I loved when she joined the group because yeah, it was same. like, oh, it's the three of us. Oh, and we got an alien, too. An alien. And it's perfect. It's exactly what the best friends are all about. And this was just like, oh, yeah, it's the bunch of us. And we found this guy under the ring. Yep. It's just how it works. They're just the misfits. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate it deeply. Uh, although, you know, you, you brought it up twice already, and I think it's a good place to go next to Chris Statlander. I personally have a lot of really weird feelings about this. Um. So... There was a time in my life where I hated gimmicky gimmicks a lot. But that time is so long since past. And I, I've kind of, for lack of a better term, pulled the stick out of my ass. And I've been a lot more receptive to things like Orange Cassidy, and I've been a lot more receptive to things like that. And I really like that AEW does this sort of tongue-in-cheek, wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing, where you've got guys like Luchasaurus, who, like, well, yeah, he's a dinosaur. He's he's a di- That's what he—he's a dinosaur. And it's like, okay, look, it's not like you're trying to convince us he's an actual dinosaur, but we all acknowledge on this first level of kayfabe, which is not the kayfabe that everything exists on in this show, where we're like three layers deep, but on that first layer of kayfabe, we have come to an understanding as an audience that this gentleman is a dinosaur, and that's how it works, and that's how it works. Great. And so for Chris Statlander, it's kind of the same thing. We're like, she's an alien. She likes to boop people. We don't know why. It, it could be a greeting. It could be a death threat. It could be a sex thing. Who knows? But for whatever it is for her people, that's a thing. I really like when they take stuff like that, make it part of their identity, but don't have to, like, commit to making it the entirety of who they are. And, like, you know, with Luchasaurus, it works really well. With Jungle Boy, it works really well. We're like, okay... He's a guy whose gimmick is he's a Tarzan person. But in the kayfabe, I mean, he and Luchasaurus, their whole video package is, is about them living out in the wild and being wild people things. And that's great. And I love that. So for Chris Statlander, it's, a, it's the same thing where some people will say, and I completely understand the argument, her gimmick holds her back. Chris Statlander is an incredibly talented uh, wrestler. She is, she has proved that time and time again on this show. She has proved it long before AEW existed. Chris Statlander is probably in their like top ten best women on the roster as far as skill and athleticism and and even understanding of the business goes. And I would venture to say even less than ten. But I'm not going to sit here and like go through the whole list of their their women, whatever. So personally. I understand their decision to maybe permanently, maybe just for this thing with Layla Hirsch, it's weird, do this where it's like, all right, we're going to drop the gimmick and I'm just going to be Chris Statlander. And they can do that. They can do that. 
Um, and then when the gimmick's over, we could be done with this and we could go back to being an alien. Or we can pivot away from it, which is something AEW seems to have been doing a little more often lately, where they move away from the, you know, crazy gimmicky gimmicks. Oh, okay. I, I personally feel like it's unnecessary. I don't think that anything is lost by having the wink-wink, nudge-nudge, Chris Atlander's an alien thing. I don't think she loses anything. I don't think it affects her ability to promo or pre presentation or anything like that. I will say that the way that she has presented herself since, like when we saw her on Rampage, is... I, I kind of want to use the term more generic than, than, you know, anything we've seen from her before now, right? She's just all in black, and she's wearing pretty, like, basic gear, and there's nothing about her that stands out. And that's not to say that won't be true when she gets in the ring, because we know how good she is. But part of wrestling is, is I look at you, and it's supposed to invoke something. And looking at you doesn't invoke anything now. That look just looks like you're, you're a wrestler person. And that's kind of disappointing to me. Uh, but again, I think it's wholly possible that this is for this kind of weird Layla Hirsch feud where they've, like, turned it into a blood feud, but not necessarily done enough to work up to that. And then we'll go back to whatever we were doing before afterwards. I mean, I think we really just have to wait and see. I agree with you on so much of this. And you said generic, right? And that's exactly the word I was thinking, where you I, I, there are some times where if you're the only person with this weird unique gimmick where i'm an alien and everybody else is a wrestler person then you stand out and you're either going to be first in line or last in line where you're either the thing everybody wants to see or everybody looks at you like you're the weirdo and that but that's not the case in aw where you have multiple people that have these interesting colorful personalities even to just transcend being wrestler person where Britt Baker is a dentist and so much of that is incorporated in how she wrestles and her look and all of that stuff. And then you have a uh, Ruby Soho where so much of her look is like this punk rock aesthetic that comes out and yeah, she's a wrestler, but also like she's a colorful personality and there are others too. Of course, Thunder Rosa, of course, is a great example of that. Of like so much of her culture and where she's from is represented in her gear and what she looks like. She's billed from the graveyards of Tijuana, Mexico. Like, come on! Like, so much of that is just this colorful persona on top of I'm also a wrestler. And so you could do I'm an alien, and some people are like, well, is that? you're a little crazy or are you actually an alien and I don't really know. And it doesn't really matter because you're still also a wrestler, whatever. That's cool. You can do that. But when you, once you drop that, if you're not switching to something else, you're a generic wrestler lady and you're in the ring with somebody like Layla Hirsch, who is I'm legit wrestler lady. I'm going to beat you because I'm legitimately a wrestler. That's my thing. I, you know, I don't have the colorful persona because I'm a legit wrestler lady. Like, that's what I do. And it feels like when you stand next to that and also all the other colorful personalities, you're just super generic. Because, and granted, of course, like, 
she hasn't had a lot of time with this yet this is a one week thing so far but i kind of miss the alien stuff already yeah if, if anything i've said before i wish they would do more with that yeah same you 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 know don't forget we also have like a literal street fighter character in Thai, and we also have you know Jade who is just this literal force of it. Like they they do they, all of their very successful women are very loud characters. So it it, it does it feels like a huge step back. Even further down the card, you have the bunny, you have mm-hmm. Penelope Ford, yeah. These are people who you look and you're like, well, I get their character just by looking at them. I don't see why you'd want to drop that. And since we're already talking about gimmicks, I'm going to defer back to Reddit one more time. I know I do that a lot sometimes. And in this episode, I've already done it like three or four times. Uh, but but I'm going to do it one more time. Because I saw something that had me like sitting here and going, mm. because it really does... It, each of these things, as we've moved down the list of, like, the gimmick stuff and, and, like, the Reddit conversations, each one I've been a little more on the fence about. And here's one where I find myself with, with like, sitting on the post. So we did the, like, Penta reinvention. We have the Penta Obscuro now, and we, we've we've created this this character who is very much rooted in, like, classic lucha libre where he's almost a comic book character right he comes he peeks out from behind the tombstone and he comes down to the ring with the shovel and he's just this dark figure and you know penta's always been kind of very uh um what's the term i'm looking for very uh over the top a little bit he's always been kind of that guy who who leans into these things and and enjoys pageantry. And then beside him, you have Alex Abrahantes, who looks like a Saturday morning cartoon character. And so it, the question the, the the question was, is essentially, is he? just too wacky and is it killing the penta gimmick or is this one of those things where you go okay well wrestling's like that sometimes and you just lean into it and call this like completely valid because they're trying to to like make it work and it's really it's really funny because it's it's one of those things where i do really find myself kind of depending on the days where i fall on that because Maybe not exactly as it is right now. As it is right now, it's probably a little more one way than the other. But there are some very small changes that could be made that fix that, right? Okay, okay. So that's my thing. Like the small changes, I think, is what you need. Yeah. Because he, it's less the look for me, and more the the actions where he's a larp comes out. And exactly, like, he's like the Phantom of the Opera out there, where he's, like, waving the cape around. He's borderline Danhausen in the way he's acting sometimes. And that's ridiculous, because Penta, I look at Penta, Penta could change his look a hundred times. I'm okay with it, because I look at him, and I'm like, that's a badass luchador. Yep. And he is representing this dark aspect of his soul, and but on the surface. And that's cool. 
But with Alex, it's more like you went to a dollar store and you picked up a, a cloak and threw on some face paint and now you're going out there like, woo, I'm going to scare the small children. And yes. it's like, all right, calm yourself, Count Chocula. Like, you're you're cool because you're next to him. Yeah. You know, Penta's really cool and like his cool aura is covering you up right now. But he's going to step in the ring and you're going to be on the outside. <laughs> and it looks like weird Dracula that dressed up at yeah. like like a teacher for Halloween on, on school or something to be like, yes, I'm cool. I fit in. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. This looks weird. This looks tacky. So and you can do better. Yeah. So um, something I, I don't know if we've ever we've discussed, I think, once or twice, maybe in passing. But I'm a giant nerd, right? Uh, I'm I'm a huge like Dungeons and Dragons guy. I run games. I play in games. I have an upcoming series that I will shamelessly plug at some point. But well, we we have an upcoming series that I will shamelessly plug at some point, and then get you to shamelessly plug as well. But I but regardless, um, and even even me looking at him, he's the guy. That like you see the the like cartoon depictions or like the the '90s TV depictions of the guys who like run these games, and that's who he is. And I I almost you know that 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 like very traditional dog puts the paws over its face thing. I can't help but feel that way in my soul every time he comes out. Is that like oh, oh no. Please. The reaction that so many people have to WWE scripted promo stuff where they look at it and they go, nobody talks like this. It's that, but for nobody dresses like this. Or acts nobody. like this. Yeah, nobody will look at this and take this, you know, because you're supposed to be a serious character. Mm-hmm. And now, if Penta was a comedy guy and this is all for laughs, then sure, no problem. You can dress however you want. That's fine. Yeah. But... This is supposed to be serious. This is like when uh, Road Warrior Hawk came out with the really bad, like, laser tag armor. Yep. And it was, oh, you're not a cool, badass Road Warrior anymore. That looks like a children's toy. And you lose all your credibility. And then it doesn't help that we went from what was originally a really great thing with the Penta says to now where it feels like he's fanboying over. And I, I don't love using that term, but it's, it's the best I can think here. He's fanboying over Penta as opposed to like being a translator. Right. And, and it just, it just makes him feel so he feels like a fan who's been put into the show and is acting like a fan who's been put into the show and is like, this is what wrestling is and I'm going to do my best at wrestling. And it's just not working. Now, it wouldn't take a lot of change. Uh, put him in a, a black suit or like a red suit or something. Have it with the, complete with the light gloves that he likes to wear, the Penta gloves. Put him in the suit. Take off the face paint. Keep a little bit of like eyeshadow or whatever. And do that. And instead of like literally hype beasting where you're like jumping around and swishing and swashing, just just do what you did before. And that's all you have to do. 
I want him to be the perfect union of Alfred Pennyworth and Paul Bearer. Where he's he's got that mannerism down of just like he doesn't show you emotion like that, where he just comes out and he is the representative of Penta, where it's the I don't need to say too much. I will tell you what Penta says, but Penta's going to come mess you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> but there are there are days where I'm like all 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 in on it. There are, there are sometimes where I'll be like, this is so fucking cheesy, and I I love it. Just injected into my vein. I want him to start acting more like the Count from Sesame Street, oh, and man. every time that there's a pinfall, it's one, two, oh. oh, and then he has to do the shocked face. Exactly. Oh my god. And then when Penta wins by pinfall, it's like, this match has been brought to you by the number three. <laughs> and of course, while we're on the topic of AEW, you know, we have to also talk about Chris Jericho. So last week, you know, the implosion of the inner circle... Finally seeing the first faction in AEW fall apart. True. But also the quick establishment of a new one. Yes, yes, of course. The Jericho Appreciation Society. Not what I would have called them, but okay. <laughs> well, but, you know, um, and I think we talked we talked about this last week, too. It's exactly what this has been building to, right? He made the group the inner circle in order to insulate himself and for his own sake, but pretended that it's about him getting these guys over. And here now we've dropped all pretense and it's just, I'm Chris Jericho. They're here because they love Chris Jericho. This is all about me. I enjoyed seeing that, but I was still, and I think we've talked about this with Chris Jericho in the last couple of weeks of okay cool chris you've done enough that i'll give you the time of day to see where this goes but i'm not like anticipating it but now i'm starting to dig it yep i said it wasn't that long ago where i was like i think he's done i don't think he can do it again i don't think he can reinvent himself again and then chris jericho this motherfucker walks out it gets into the ring and goes, I'm not a wrestler. I'm a sports entertainer. And it was brilliant. I actually have a really funny story about this. So, uh, I was, we, we usually watch the first like hour of AEW, uh, dynamite with the kids. Uh, and then they go to bed. So my partner's putting the kids to bed and that's just about when the Jericho segment starts. And he, he's like, I'm a sports entertainer. And I'm like, this is brilliant. This is great. And then so da- then Daniel Garcia, like, rips the mic out of his hand and, like, mad dogs him for a second. And he's like, if I knew you were going to come out here and you were going to say that you were a sports entertainer, well, then I'm a sports entertainer, too. And I'm sitting at my computer watching this, and I just go, no! Very loudly. <laughs> And so, uh, Crystal comes comes in from the kids' room and is like, is everything okay? And I'm like, no. No, it's not. He ruined Daniel Garcia. 
He got you. He got he, you good. He did. It was great. Mark. Oh man, it was great. It's so good. Those moments are always so so perfect though. And as I've been thinking about this over the last, you know, couple of days, I realized something very interesting. This new iteration of sports entertainer Chris Jericho is kind of what we would have seen had Cody turned heel. This is the logical conclusion of what we kind of where where the Cody verse would have been going had it really been a build up to him, you know, accepting it and going heel. Right? Is him taking all of the parts that make AEW AEW and the the framework that set them up as being the anti WWE and going I am everything that you people want this company to not have. Right? I am the sports entertainer. I'm the guy who's less interested in getting five stars and more interested in being loud and large and a character. That's who I am. I'm about me, and the people around me are there because they make me look good. I get over because they're here. And it, it very much felt like where we could have been going with Cody. True, true. I'll, I'll keep it mostly to Jericho, because I think there's one more piece that would have been present for Cody that isn't with Jericho. And I think Cody would have had, like, that Vince McMahon-ism of, I know what you want more than you do. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. And, and with Jericho, it's more like, I don't care what you want. I'm Chris Jericho. Like, I only care about what I want. And yeah, that's something where I, again, like I'm, I'm really starting to dig it with the whole sports entertainer thing because, man, that could be so good. There's so many good promos that can come out of this. Yep. And I don't know where they go. Like, there's a lot of people moving right now in AEW. Obviously, you've got your matches with uh, Eddie Kingston and Santana and Ortiz and stuff like that. That that's cool, but past that like i don't know what the ceiling is here and i i think garcia is the guy that's going to come out of this and looks like a million bucks and i hope so because i think that's what this is designed to do oh yeah absolutely um and giving him that moment too on the mic oh, so to just good. have that that like solidification of he's bought in 100 percent right now and you can maybe over time slowly whittle that away as he gets closer and closer to the you know the black hole of chris jericho's ego yeah and you know he's just like oh god i gotta get out of this but that that could be like a year from now and that's something that i i'd love to see how the group dynamics work over time yeah that's some that's some cool stuff i like that yeah and and you know we have the the name changes for 2.0 where one is changing their first name and one is changing their last name to their like actual names which is great but, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a what is a stupid idea from bad creative. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, who? I forgot how how Jericho just like dropped that line once and it died, and that was brilliant. Holy moly! Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just his his ability to do this is is unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. 
And I, yeah, I'm very excited to see where we go next. True. It's, it feels new. It feels fresh. I don't want it to get stale. Let's, let's ride this wave. Heck yeah. So is that all there is to really discuss for AEW? Wardlow loses to Scorpio because of Ward. MJF interference. Uh-huh. And not one person in the world was shocked except for maybe Wardlow. It, it didn't pay him to think. <laughs> but it's good though it's good Wardlow's gonna go on that rampage he's gonna destroy Sean Spears and then you know but and we don't the, know the what... chair will have to nurse him back to health it's but we don't know what uh, FTR is gonna end up doing with all of this oh man there was I'm not crazy there was like a Bret Hart drop in this right like that's a thing that happened yeah, it's weird, and I don't really get it, because I don't think they're two guys that need a manager like that. It's, it's, I, I mean, it's yeah. cool, like, you do a lot worse than Bret Hart, but, like, come on, guys, really, like, that's what we're doing? So I haven't been, I've been pretty open about my, my feelings on Bret Hart, and I'm not a huge Bret Hart fan. Um, like, I'm a huge fan of Bret Hart's body of work, although I wasn't the hugest fan of it while it was happening. And I'm not a huge fan of Bret Hart, the person or the personality or the character overall either. So while, like, I can totally understand why they might want to be like, let's fucking go and have Bret Hart be the guy at ringside for them. I would much rather they stuck with Tully or brought Arn in and did it with Arn because that would be literally perfect, right? Like the brain, the new brainbusters with the brainbuster manager would be would be perfect. But uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not super hyped about it. The only thing about it I can think of that would be cool is if they are bringing in Bret Hart. It makes me wonder if we've had some kind of reconciliation between the two parts of the Hart family. Right, because, you know, we're doing the thing with Owen, we know Martha's involved with that, and that's really cool, and if we're also bringing in Brett, you know, there's been a lot of bad blood between these two sides, and it would be really cool if this is this is kind of a, a, a bridge built for them. But, you know, who knows? Um, it, It's much like in the same vein where, like, well, we know CM Punk and Colt Cabana show, share a locker room now, and that's kind of all we know. Uh, so, like, could it be? It could be. It also could not be. And just, they're both there to do business. Or it could be that they just dropped the Bret Hart thing because they felt like it, and it's not going to go anywhere. We don't know. We um, have no idea at this point, yeah. yeah. But I'm very just curious to see where they're going. where they seem to be doing a pretty hard babyface turn. Mm-hmm. And that is not going to line up at all with the rest of the Pinnacle. So. Well, I mean, the Pinnacle, the Pinnacle's dead. At this point, the pinnacle exactly, down. but yeah. you know, you still have a Spears and MJF mm-hmm. allied up. So, well, Spears, it, it... Spears just becomes the direct like crony now instead of just being Wardlow's like uh, handler, right? As a accountability buddy. Which brings us back to which brings us back to where we started with the pinnacle, which was the early days of the pandemic, where Max and him would sit there and bet on matches yep yep very true which is actually kind of cool uh it's 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 cool to see that with that said i hate the idea of ftr's faces um just because 
to me, they ring so true as the really traditional bruiser heel tag team from the 80s and the 90s. And I, I'm so absolutely in love with that. Both of those guys seem like absolute sweethearts. They seem like phenomenal people. They're a great tag team. They they do so well together, and I hope it goes really well, and I will be rooting for them no matter what. I just feel like maybe they're setting it up for them to feud with, like, Red Dragon or something. The Bucks, I think, are the... Like, they tease that, right? Yeah. They tease the Bucks. Yeah, the, well, them and the Bucks are going to feud forever. Well, we need right, like, we need another match because it's been it's been what a year and a half, two years now. Easily, yeah. It's ever Crazy. since the the tag titles switched hands, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Whew. yep. We need we need number two. They need they need that win back. They absolutely need that win back because, unlike what the Young Bucks said, they are the best tag team in the world right now. Anyone who disagrees is just wrong, and that's fine. Of, people, of all time, right? Yes, of all time. They are the best established tag team of all time. Period. Fair. Fair. Not going to dispute that with you. So, from there, I think... Oh, oh, one last thing that will bridge our gap a little bit. Sorry. Uh, AEW, uh, Christopher Daniels was over in Japan recently and just announced that AEW is partnered up with DDT and is going to be having DDT guys coming in. To, to work with AEW, which is really exciting. Um, for people who don't know, DDT is uh, the company where guys like Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi really got their first, like, big push in front of crowds. Um, it's a great company. It has some amazing talent almost always. Uh, it also is absolutely, positively, completely batshit insane. Um... They have a title that is what the 24-7 title is kind of based on, called the Iron Heavy Metalweight Pro DDT Championship, which can and has been defended everywhere by everything by everyone ever, including having been uh, won by a ladder itself, most recently a camera, um, by proxy, everyone watching the show at the time. Um, Vince McMahon's star on the Walk of Fame it has been lost in a dream. It's it's a hell of a belt, and you'd be surprised at some of the people who have held it. Like Rey Mysterio is a former is a former champion, which is wild. Uh, and just the show is it, it ranges everywhere from like completely insane to like phenomenal wrestling. So if you get the chance, check it out. If you're not really interested in doing that, that's fine. But when these guys come into AEW, check definitely check them out. It's worth it, and. That's something I'm really excited about. That sounds like a treat. I know we got a little bit of uh, Forbidden Door stuff with a couple of uh, New Japan crossover matches and stuff, and those were pretty cool for what they were, even though they weren't a long-lasting thing. And, of course, a global pandemic doesn't help. Hopefully there will be more of them. Yes, yes, definitely. So things to look forward to. And speaking of New Japan... Why don't we turn our attention over to the New Japan Cup? You know, we've been a little a little lax in reporting from Japan recently, especially with New Japan. Um, there's there's just been uh, there's been a pretty noticeable drop in quality. I think that everyone has kind of talked about over the last the last like couple of years. 
with some, you know, some of it's based on decisions that have been made within the company. Some of it is just based on the unfortunate reality that is COVID and the restrictions that have come with it. But man, this cup has absolutely been something, huh? And it's interesting where we're sitting right now, where it feels like a somebody beats Okada to challenge Okada situation. Potentially, anyway. It'd be that now or in finals, because we are we at least know one semifinal match. And that's Okada and Naito. Mm-hmm. And the four potential names on the other side, we have Zack Sabre Jr. against Will Ospreay, which, man, that sounds like a hell of a match. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one. And... Hiromu and Shingo. Which I'm also very excited for. Yeah, so Shingo could potentially run the LIJ gauntlet of sorts. Well, I'd like to I'd like to save Shingo for last because I think I have the most to say about Shingo. That's uh, fair. And and that potential outcome of this tournament. Uh but so the first thing I'd actually like to talk about, if you don't mind, is Naito Okada really want to talk about Naito Okada. So for... You've never been given an opportunity to talk about that match before. No, never in my life. Uh, so Tetsuya Naito is my favorite New Japan guy. Um, maybe my favorite currently active wrestler. Love Naito. Love Naito's story. Could go on forever about it. We talked about you know him for a bit when we you know talked about New Japan and their presentation style. But... Tetsuya Naito's career has been plagued with situations where he has always felt like he's just not good enough or treated like he's just not good enough. And every single time that Naito Okada happens, this comes back to the forefront. And it is always such a compelling story because it's sort of baked in, right? It's the guy who has, who has made a career and built his character on being... Just not good enough. And the golden child. Right? Um, uh, A comparison you made before. It's almost, in in some ways at least, it's kind of like the CM Punk John Cena thing. Right? Where you've got the guy who is definitely good, who the fans love, but has consistently been treated like a second-class character, wrestler, sports entertainer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, That reminds me. We never got back to the Jericho Appreciation Society, but that's okay. We can we can film that, and I'll cut it in. Because uh, there's, like, one funny thing I want to bring up. So, but versus, you know, Okada, who is uh, without question the John Cena of New Japan. He is just the guy who, who stands at the top of the mountain. When you think about the IWGP Championship, at least the last one, he's the first face you think of. Always, all the time, if ever you need a safe, strong, powerful champion, it's Okada. Okada's been put in a position really carefully where any time that someone has a match with Okada and beats Okada, it is, like, clean, it is always the story of this could have gone the other way on any given night. Always, without fail. There is no one that Okada's faced off against where where you're like, okay... 
And that will always be what happens because there's no possible way Okada could beat them. It, it doesn't work that way. So when you have a match like Naito Okada, you have this really interesting story of, you know, Naito trying to prove again that he is better than the guy that you decided is the best. Not just to you, but also to himself. Um, which, you know, it's really hard to go into a lot of the nuance of that, because as we've discussed before with New Japan, you really have to understand a lot of stuff to understand certain things. But but that's the long and short of it, and why I'm always excited for this match. Totally fair, and this is something where I don't necessarily envision Naito winning this, no. because this is either going to be a thing where... Naito wins this tournament to face Okada, and then that just leads to, okay, this is a definitive nail in the coffin for him for now. Of He's challenged him multiple times, he's lost multiple times. Okay, Okada's onto other things. Naito's not getting another shot for the foreseeable future. Including or, recently. Including recently, because he he was the guy to come out and challenge at uh, exactly, uh, the yeah. end of Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. yeah, so this would be two losses in the same year. And that's not really a common thing so that would be like okay that but the alternative is okay Naito just wins the title but I don't necessarily see that as happening either because they've had a track record of you know look at the last time they had something like this happen where the person who wins this tournament wins the title and then goes on and it's like ooh maybe that's the moment where things started going downhill talking about evil of course Yeah, and I don't know that they necessarily want to make that type of move yeah, agreed. I think it's definitely the safe bet to say Okada comes out of this one ahead. Uh, so then we turn our eyes to the other side of this bracket, which, you know, we talk, we, you mentioned the matches. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay. Whew. I love a match, but I think that's a lock for Ospreay. Yeah, same. Uh, I mean, ZSJ has had an incredible, like, oh, 365 days leading up till now, right? He's had some huge wins. He beat, like, world champion Takagi, which was a big deal. He had some huge victories in the G1 this past year. He's He's been really working his ass off. But, yeah, I, I mean, Osprey is the, the clear and present winner there, which, you know, uh, brings us to the potential of, like, Osprey Okada again, running back Wrestle Kingdom, where, you know... Osprey would have to beat him twice, which feels really weird too, right? Where Osprey has to beat him here and then beat him again one-on-one, -on -one, which to me doesn't feel like the way to go. It feels really awkward no matter how you do it. It's like, well, yeah, you beat me at the cup when I had, you know, been, been running through guys and I had had a bunch of matches and I wasn't running at 100%. But then now we have this match where I've had a day to rust and whatever else. And, okay, cool. Now I'm going to beat you. And, and it, it, it delegitimizes Osprey, but I feel like at a time when he needs to feel like a legitimate contender. Because, you know, he can't keep being Okada's angry little brother. Um, But the reason that I've gone in the order I have, and I'm sorry, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I would love to see Zack Sabre Jr. get his time to shine at the top of the card, but I just don't think it's now. I don't think it's happening. And I also, I know you do want to talk about Shingo, and I don't know if you're jumping over the fact of, like, it's just Shingo wins this match? 
I don't know what shot you give Hiromu of winning. Okay, so a couple things I want to talk about here. First, uh, Hiromu versus Evil was great, and the finish for Hiromu versus Evil made me so happy. Um, it, where he he essentially beats him with everything is evil. You know, he uses Evil's finishing move against him. It was cool that we got this match, the run back of like when Evil first betrayed them and Hiromu tried to like take uh, uh, the honor back and, and get his revenge and fell short. But here we, we are where he's not just beaten, but completely embarrassed Evil, which is great. It was, it was awesome. Um, so, yeah. So we got Shingo Takagi and Hiromu. And, I mean, this is maybe actually the match I'm most excited for in this tournament. Uh, because Hiromu has said that his goal in doing this is to prove that juniors can can and do deserve to be treated the same way the heavyweights do and that they should be able to be treated like the main event and a big deal and that he, that's why he's here and if he wins he fully intends to challenge for the uh junior heavyweight championship and not for the the heavyweight championship with that said um i think this is the match with the most storytelling there is Shingo, you know, Hiromu's the little brother, right? That's the thing. He's the little brother of LIJ. That'll always be the case. And no matter how much success he has, that's always how he's seen. And then you've got Shingo, who is very definitively the opposite and has been coming off of the best year of his life professionally, right? He was world champion. He had matches with guys like Okada. It was a big deal, and it meant something. And even if, you know, like we've said before he hasn't necessarily been presented as being that major champion, it doesn't change the fact that this has still been the hottest year of his life. Uh, so now you've got Hiromu, who consistently throws caution to the wind and is willing to do everything short of killing himself to win a match versus the burning, passionate, at this point probably hungry, will of The, the Last Dragon. Uh, so we... The only reason I don't want to say Lal Shingo wins here is because a match we haven't seen in a long time now, but was at one point the height of the junior division, Hiromu and Osprey. And it would be really interesting with the way that Osprey has changed and adapted and evolved over the last few years to see these two go at it again and what a different match that would be and what a different story they would have to tell. That's the only reason that I I almost kind of want to want to question whether or not Shingo wins. With that said, yeah, I think it's very likely that Shingo wins. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to get your input from from the Hiromu side before we get into Shingo because I could I could keep going forever. Am I crazy that it was a few years ago, probably the right before the pandemic that we had the uh that was that was the junior heavyweight championship match right at, at night one of wrestle kingdom osprey, osprey and shingo oh osprey yeah. and hiromu when was the last time that one happened Let me that was the one where hiromu is returning from like the neck injury and whips out the time bomb two oh i think you're right yeah yeah where osprey has like the new 
um right 2020 shot to the back of the neck yeah the hidden blade yeah 2020 the hidden blade yeah yeah i i very much enjoyed that match i thought that was great um so yeah i would love to see those two again but i don't think it's here no i also like i don't want to skip too far ahead because like it totally depends upon if it's okada in finals or naito in finals but i would love to see kind of a callback of the lij lij final of naito evil but now it's naito shingo and instead of it being like the heartbreak it's a happy ending yeah it's it's actually the oh okay look no this is how it should have gone yeah you know all right we the best man wins and then you know all right we're done cool we we go home as brothers Mm -hmm. then i would love to see that but i don't think that's the finals we get though no if if we're gonna talk about what's most likely then my my assumption is this is Shingo's coming out party, right? We put the title on him. He had what we've discussed before was kind of a questionable championship reign with some losses that were a little shocking for someone who's going to be treated like a world champion. And then it was kind of over. And then when it was over, that was it. But here we have everything set up for Shingo to be solidified in a way he wasn't before. Um, you know, the Shingo over Hiromu isn't necessarily that mo- moment, but that match is going to be a phenomenal match, I have no doubt. Uh, and then you get Shingo Osprey, which is always, always five stars, except if it's in the Tokyo Dome and it's seven. But, man, those those two put on some of the most amazing performances of any wrestlers ever when they get in the ring together, and it's... It's unreal how good they are able to work together. So then you've got, you know, this incredibly passionate, powerful, emotional match that leads into him having this incredibly powerful performance that then leads into him standing across the ring from Okada, the New Japan boss, the guy currently holding the belt that Shingo obviously wants back and had and needs in order to continue to prove himself. And if he beats Okada, that's huge. Even after all these matches, even after everything that's led here, having the win over Okada is a big deal. Because, yeah, it means that he will then face Okada again, and having Shingo Okada back-to-back is a wild thought. Uh, But you have to assume he doesn't beat Okada. Okada just won the championship. Um, when was it? I mean, te- technically, he won it in January when he <laughs> unified all of yeah. the belts, yes. right? Um, that is the technical time when he did win. Yes. Yeah. So you have you have that where he's probably not going to drop it right away, um, but but could. And even if he doesn't, so if he doesn't, then Shingo beating Okada is the first time is still this really powerful defining moment where Shingo had his emotional passionate fight with Hiromu had another one of these five-star wild bouts with Osprey who was just champion not too long before whether you recognize him as champion or not or whatever um, goes on to beat Okada to win the new Japan cup, which is a huge deal in and of itself 
and then either he loses to Okada after having beat Okada, which, you know, moves them along to the next level because now he's 1-2 against Okada in... I, th- I think that's the record, unless I'm missing well, a match. Two and two. Two and two? Two yeah. and two! You're right! Two and two. He won the He's... title initially by beating Okada. Yes. Lost it back to Okada. And then... Now, yeah. if they face each other in the G1 last year, I don't remember. But No, I think they were in opposite blocks. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, they're two and two. And that sets up for whatever it is down the road where maybe we get the tiebreaker, and maybe even that's where he wins the title again. Or he beats Okada here, beats him two night, two times in a row, goes 3-1 and one against Okada, and now is solidified as, as long as his, like, championship reigns aren't as, as, or his defenses, rather, aren't as kind of weird as the last time. He, he really is solidified as not only maybe being the premier world champion member of LIJ, but definitely being part of that small cutoff at the top of the roster that is guys who are the legitimate world champion guys, right? Which mm-hmm. which is like right now Okada, um, Ibushi, Osprey, uh, Naito is like the bottom guy on that list. Uh, 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 Jay White when he's able to be there. Yeah, I I think that you're absolutely right. I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I I have to ask you this question, right? Of there's no way Okada wins this tournament, right? Like that's the least likely of all of these people. Where I mean, I guess maybe Zack Saber Jr. or or Hiromu would be. Yeah, less I was gonna likely, say Zack Saber Jr. is probably the least likely. Yeah, but. Even then, I still think there's a, a small instance of, you know, Naito wins, somehow Zack Sabre Jr. wins, and then you just have the one-off match. But, like, Okada winning yields nothing. There is one situation where I could see it having a, a an upside. Um, if Kota Ibushi is ready to go, I could see a situation where Okada wins the New Japan Cup and then is like, this is great, and like I'm the champion, but there's unfinished business. Ibushi, we need to do this. And and picks him to be like his next challenger. Um, but like that's that's I, A, I don't know when Ibushi would be cleared, and B, I don't know what kind of shape he's in. And but but like you're if you're asking me what would it take for Okada to be the guy who wins this, that's what I feel like it would take. Otherwise, so, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, so my, my other question to that is then, do you even put Okada in finals? Yeah. If he, you still do, okay. I, that, I think so, I think so. I, I mean, with New Japan, you really could go either way. Because, like, you know, Naito... The problem is Naito over Okada here means that at some point, even if he loses the New Japan Cup... He's still getting another title shot, right? And I don't know if that's something we want any time in the immediate future. Not not we as the fans, but, like, for the sake of what... The way that they can so heavily control the records that the guys at the top have with each other, 
I don't know if that's what we want to do here. I don't know if we want to do Naito Okada again soon after, you know, that. But we could. We could. And if we do, then, you know, it lends more credence to, like you said, the idea of we have the inverse of the evil uh, Naito match where at the end of it, when all is said and done, you know, we go home together. That's what we are. We're a family, and that's what we do. And that's could, assuming could that happen. the finals is in Naito versus Osprey, and sure, sure, yeah, and then Osprey wins, and then you get Osprey Okada, and then at, you know Naito is on the side for that. But still, e- either way, I just it's interesting. Like they've done a good enough job with this. Of if you have a final four of Okada, Naito, Shingo, and Osprey, it's like well that's four guys right there of if I didn't know who the champion was, I'd say, okay, well, one of them is going to walk out champion bet. No problem. I get it. But it's also hard to pick of, okay. Even with the other three, it's still, you know, leaving Okada out of this. It's still hard to pick who's winning that because I can make a case pretty easily. Hell, I I even could kind of make a case for Hiromu making finals in this. Sure. Yeah. Just because I think that's a really interesting t- story that I knew nothing about, but I think that's very compelling. Like, I'd love to see it. I'd also kind of love to see him beat Shingo and face Osprey, so Osprey kind of gets the win back, but also kills the dream of I'm the guy who actually has already been yep. champion at the top. Like, you're not going to make it there, so screw you, you're done. Sit sit back down, Hiromokun. It's not your turn. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you also you also potentially, if we're going like really bold with it, you also potentially have the run back of the match we never got because of COVID, which was Naito and Hiromu when Naito was the double champion. Or if we want to be really bold, you have Hiromu and Okada where Hiromu beats Okada and then is like, no, but I already said, I don't give a fuck about you or your title. I want my title. Bye. And the winner <laughs> of the New Japan Cup doesn't even face Okada. Yeah. Face, uh, what is that, Desperado, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whew. So good. Yeah. I can see it. <laughs> I don't think that one's happening. No, I don't think so either. But, like, it would be a lot of fun. It would. Who took him out? He was in this too, right? He lost to Okada in round one. Desperado. Okay. I mean, that's that's a fair loss right there. That's also a hell of a match to get early on in the tournament of your junior champion versus your heavyweight champion. Yep. Yeah, I actually, I missed that match, so I'll probably go back and watch it. I am surprised looking at it. It is... Uh, maybe, maybe the longest match in the tournament so far. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yes. Again, it two is, of your champions. Yeah, it's the longest in the tournament so far. Actually, it's really strange what's in second place. So it's 26 minutes long. And in, it, do you want to, do you want to throw out a guess? About who who was in second place for the long the second longest match? Twenty five minutes. Twenty five seven. I don't know who was in all the matches. Okay. So I would venture a guess it's either another Okada match or a Naito match. 
and it's neither. Is it an Osprey match? Is it any of the guys that are still in there? You have no. They're both gone. It's two of the, you have the factions right, but the the people wrong. And the factions right. It's okay, so it's. Wait, I, I mentioned three people though. Yes, you did. Um, so, it's Chaos and Lij. No, it's United Empire and Lij. I'm going to give it to you. I don't think you'll get it, so I'm going to give it I, to you. No, you said the person's not still in it. Nope. Sonata? <laughs> and? I have no idea who he faced. There's Aaron no way I'm going to get it. Hanare. What? Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know. I haven't watched that match either, but like... I'm sure. Wild. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's that a weird so one. Long? I have no idea. That's a weird one. But, uh, yeah. The, so, so that's interesting. For sure. Uh, I'm also really sad that Tai Chi. I beat... expect the length record to be broken very soon by like Okada and Naito or something. Like, or something like that, yeah. They're gonna go like thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sad that uh Yano got eliminated right out of the gate. Oh, who'd he lose then? Uh Tai Chi. Okay. Taichi, who then loses to Okada because Tenzin forfeits. Sure. Yeah. Uh. So like, all right, that's fine. New Japan is in this place where it's potentially gonna start getting interesting again. Uh, we just had the Gorillas of Destiny. So what I first expected to be a split between Bullet Club and House of Torture turned into a full-on swerve, where now the Gorillas of Destiny. And Jado are out. We talked about that last week, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is absolutely crazy to me. But that's that's where we are now. Um, wrestling, wrestling sometimes can be really crazy. Wrestling can be absolutely wild sometimes. So then that brings us to the last thing that we wanted to talk about tonight. Um, the unfortunate and untimely passing of Scott Hall Razor Ramon. Oh, it's a rough one. Yeah, yeah. We, when we sat down to record last week, this was all breaking news. He had suffered heart attacks and uh, we had no idea what was going on. And so, of course, like so many others, it was, you have no idea. You don't know what information's out there. And of course, you hope for the best. And that's... So suddenly, he passed away about a day later, and it's shocking, absolutely shocking for somebody who we're getting more and more accounts of his impact and his legacy that he left on so many people in the wrestling landscape. Yeah, across gen multiple generations, multiple companies, and uh. He's gonna be missed. Yeah, just the amount of the amount of stories coming out, just you know, on social media and wherever else, about guys who are just like you know, worked a show. Scott was there. Uh, saw that I didn't have the money for whatever. Paid for my food. Paid for my gas. Paid for my hotel. Paid for my this. Paid for my that. And then just like spent three, four hours sometimes talking about wrestling, talking about the business just for them and you know uh always pay it forward it was never you know get me back whenever it was always you know 
when you're here, you do this for the next guy. Um, you know, Scott, Scott had a hell of a, of a life and a hell of a career. And he really did have a lot of impact on the business in ways people don't always really think of, right? Um, I mean, you've got, you've got this really interesting situation where he was maybe not the first, but arguably one of the best of his time period where of the heel who got over with the crowd right which is really cool like it was one of the he was one of those characters where when he was a face he was still a heel but he was just a face being a heel which is really cool um i like that word uh cool because he's he's cool right yeah that that was always his thing he had such style Mm -hmm. that was unique to him and he was a big dude, but he wasn't like the biggest dude where, you know, obviously he stood next to Kevin Nash all the time. He's like seven feet tall. So of course, you know, you're going to look smaller, but he's an easy, you know, mid six feet person, like big, big dude, but could tell awesome stories in the ring that, you know, obviously I, we're going to, we have to talk about it. We talked about it last week, we talked about it before this, but you know, his ladder match with Sean yeah. of everybody remembers that and uh, attributes it to Sean all the time, but he's the guy that won that match. He's the, he was just as big a part of it as anybody else. And that, and, and so much of what he did going over to WCW and what that meant in the nineties, like he and Nash, the outsiders and all that. Like I just always come back to that word. Cool. Because he had these mannerisms and the style of speech and the attire and all that stuff, like he's cool. Yeah. The, you know, we we've talked about it. We talked about it this episode too about the ladder match, right? And how it has a built-in story, and you know, they, he's part of why it has that story, right? Like what what sets the pace for these matches will always be the first one, and. And the ones that are the most remembered, and that's exactly what this was, right? Is a story that these two guys told that sort of cemented what this tool means when it's busted out for other matches. Uh, and and yeah, um, you saw, you know, you talk. He's he was a big dude. He was a big dude, and it's so easy to forget. Standing next to guys like Nash, standing next to guys like Hogan, uh, it's really easy to be like, "Oh shit, I forgot you're you're a fucking monster of a man! Like you're huge." He was, he was, he was huge. Uh, a funny story he used to tell. So he did the um, the fall away slam, right? And someone on Twitter was like, "Can we rename this the Holloway Slam?" Because like you know, why not? And so, Sean Waltman, X-Pac, 123Kid, whatever you want to call him, was like, actually, no, because that is called the sack of shit. Because <laughs> the first time he did it, or one of the first times he did it, he did it to, uh, I think it was Carlos Colon. And after the match, Carlos Colon comes up to him and he goes, Hey, Scott, you, you throw me like a sack of shit. <laughs> And from that moment on, that's all that he would call it. Any time that he talked about it, Scott Hall would always just call it a sack of shit. 
That's it's great. Amazing. Yeah, and it's such a Scott Hall story, right? Like it's such a it's such a story that fits everything we understand about the guy. Totally, totally. And speaking of of Sean Waltman, that you know, you want to talk about Scott Hall, Razor Ramon moments of the the fluke one two three kid flash pin on uh, Monday Night Raw, which oh, is yeah. one of those first big like shock wins that you can think of from like a televised wrestling broadcast mm-hmm. of the I'll throw up the quotes jobber beats the established star and leads to an angle and a hell of a career from there yeah and it, you know it's funny because if you look back at it there's actually a lot of big moments in wrestling that he is either directly or indirectly involved in right so you've got that which is that big like flash pin moment You've got, you know, the obvious NWO one. You've got the ladder match. You've got the curtain call. Right? We can't forget about that. There's there's just all of these, like, big moments that, that existed around him, right? He, um... He's even indirectly responsible for WWE's acquisition of WCW. Because when he went over and stopped being Razor Ramon and just started being Scott Hall, they sued because the Scott Hall character was too close to the Razor Ramon character, which WCW, like, they they settled or WCW won because it was just like, Scott Hall's like, my defense is that I'm just being me. I'm I'm Scott Hall, so yes. I am Scott Hall. (laughs) But one of the settlements in that is that if WCW ever went up for sale, the WWE was allowed to be like the first bidder to purchase, which somehow came to fruition years later. But it's, I still find the hilarious thing of like the, you're suing me because I'm playing me on TV. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. He also, he also won a world war three, right? I forgot. I, I, I can't remember yeah, the year. I remember matches that were insanely chaotic. And- <laughs> That's fair. But yeah, I mean, uh, phenomenal. He was so good at getting guys over. He was really oh, yeah. good at, at making the people he was in the ring with look good. And he also was one of those guys who, um, one of the very, very, very few guys who decided very early on that he's like, my finisher is sacred. My finisher is sacred. If I hit it, you don't kick out. And if if I'm not winning, I'm not hitting it. And I'll we'll tease it. We'll set it up. We'll play for it. But if I pick you up and I plant your shoulders down, the match is going to be over. You don't kick out. And, man, what an important thing that has been. Something that doesn't, you know, get seen a lot. We see it with, like, Kenny Omega, which is really important. We And, you know, we talk about the inverse all the time. We talked about, you know, Adam Cole earlier tonight. Hell of a move, the Razor's Edge. A hell of a name for a move, too, of just something that's so uniquely him. And I appreciate uh, Damian Priest whipped out a Razor's Edge on Monday Night Raw, which was a nice moment to see that. And um, I think Matt Hardy teased one in uh, his match, the Hardy's match with Private Party. Yeah, well, he he uses it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can just see that, like, the influence, right? 
Mm -hmm. like, there weren't many people doing a Razor's Edge before Razor Ramon. Yeah, we also had the the Heyo from oh, man. from Jr. That got me a little bit. That was that was great. I appreciate that. I appreciated that. Uh, like, you know, obviously they they still stick with the the saying for whatever night it is for Brody, and I appreciate without turning every single aspect of the show into a Scott Hall tribute show. It was still just a nice nod to the hey, this guy meant a lot to a lot of people and he meant a lot to the business. And it's always unfortunate when somebody goes before their time, right? Like, yeah. like this was not something that, like a long hospital stay, this was a tragic, sudden thing that nobody saw it coming. Yeah. Uh, fun Scott Hall fact. Um, he debuted with the WWF on an episode of Super Superstars. Oh, on an episode of Superstars against Paul Van Dale, who is Carmella's dad. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? Finding out that fact was also when I found out that Carmella was a second generation wrestler because I had no idea awesome i thought you were about to say like that's also when i found out that carmella had a dad <laughs> <laughs> like wow how long have we been recording Whew. but yeah i mean he even just just like being able to look at scarface and be like okay how can i take this and turn it into a wrestling persona right was was such a brilliant concept and he did it so well uh just he had a great mind for the business he had a great mind for ring psychology. He had a great mind for how to cut promos and work with the fans and work against the fans. And, and he knew how to get where he wanted to be. Uh, and, you know, shout out to DDP, because if it wasn't for uh, Paige, like, there is so much less time that people would have gotten and so much less, like, pearls of wisdom that would have been shared. If you want to, like, go find ddp on on social medias and stuff he's he's put up some very nice touching photos and memories and uh sentiments regarding scott hall like they're some awesome touching things to look at that you can you can see how much he meant to so many people and over such a long period of time and yeah I, you know i echo that as well like I, i've joked about like canonize this man because the work that he's done, especially with Scott Hall and, and Jake Roberts, is should be commended. Yes. Because, man, they two guys that have not always been in the best place, and he helped them get to, you know, be people who could function. Yeah. Where they needed. They were not functioning. Yeah. Where they needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um. With that, closing thoughts. Rest in peace, Scott Hall. I uh, I think he said it really well in his Hall of Fame speech, that, that final line, right? Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Thanks for uh, listening. We'll see you next week.